everybody welcome to the 220th edition of the holy backboard podcast i'm dustin here in rip city and i got my man here out in beaverton listening to the police sirens ring um damn uh we had to we had to stop recording for a little second for the the police sirens to pass so we i'm out here a lot of things have happened this week how are you feeling personally or or sports wise both uh personally it's been uh, highs and lows. You know, I, I think that's been the common theme of, of 2020. Um, my mom had to put her, one of her cats down oh, uh, that sucks. the last couple of days. And that was, you know, tough. There's being there for her, um, sympathizing with her, you know, empathizing as well. I went through the same thing with, with Bassie. Um, it's never fun. It was actually, uh, one a, a cat as a part of a litter that Olga and I helped save. Uh, they were strays, and we you know took them in uh, before before we moved up to Portland. You know, so it's kind of strange thinking back that okay, that marked the timeline from when I left Albany and started you know finishing my my schooling in Portland State and starting the life I have now in Portland. It was like 13 years ago, and so it's just anytime something major in life happens, it's weird to put it back into perspective of what really happened over those, 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 those 13 years. And so it's kind of strange to, to think about that. And then obviously, you know, with the holidays, it was, it was different. It was chill, but, you know, thankfully we've had basketball back to kind of keep us entertained and, you know, just trying to stay inside, stay safe and, you know, stay connected with, with our family, friends and loved ones. So uh, how was your holiday friend? It was chill. I spent three weeks at home with my uh, family and a lot of a lot of you know family drama family dynamics is always a difficult thing to talk about or be about and you know they had a really nice deal going my older brother uh lived in seattle and came down to medford because his his job they 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 didn't want to have an office open so he can't really do his job in uh seattle where he lives because of his internet being such shit so I came down to live with my mom and then I came down for three weeks and it kind of upset the delicate balance of everything. So now I'm back in Beaverton and I'm just like, okay, I just have to deal with myself and I deal with that every day. So it's, it's a lot less to deal with. I mean, like going from by yourself to three other people is always going to be difficult. So I'm super happy to be home. I I'm just chilling now that uh, basketball is really back, I'm doing my DFS studies and shit's going pretty well. So I'm, I'm, I'm very happy. And, you know, basketball wise, we're, we're kicking ass with the podcast. So I feel good about that. There's always stuff to talk about. So I'm, 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 I'm ready to get this on. Yeah, you only have to deal with me once a week. So not just I entirely would be yourself. I deal with you multiple times a week. I know I'm just giving you shit, bud. But but yeah, it's been like I said, highs and lows for myself personally. I think for the Blazers, they would say there has been a lot of highs and lows through the first six games uh, of this season. You know, we already discussed the first three. Portland was in the midst of that that California road trip when we last left off uh, the week prior. 
uh, Portland had some tough results after that really impressive win over the Los Angeles Lakers. They came back and probably played their worst game, I would say, of the entire season, losing by 23 to the Clippers in a game that wasn't as close as the final score indicated, which was 128 to 105. Um, they took the first game on New Year's Day against the Golden State Warriors. Uh, just an incredible bounce back performance. We saw a lot of milestones in that one 25 point victory, 123 to 98. But the, this team just has a problem stringing together consecutive solid performances. And uh, Steph Curry lit us up for 62 points. We lost 137. 122. It was probably the toughest six game stretch of the first half of the schedule. Portland is sitting at three and three, just a game and a half out of the, the first seed in the Western Conference. And Sage, now it's time to kind of feast at home. 10 of the next 12 are in the friendly confines of the Row City. And again, they don't have to leave the state of Oregon or California. Their only two road games are in Sacramento. Uh, against the Kings. But before we start projecting this upcoming homestand, what are your thoughts through six games? What did you see in particular that you liked or disliked over these last three? I think that with the Clippers game, they were just so hot that it's hard to really, you know, they, they tried multiple things defensively to stop them and nothing really worked. So that's one of those games you've got to chalk up as like a, a, an L but when you look at the, the way they played the Warriors that first game, everything seemed a lot easier. Game two against the Warriors, bro, they defended full court. They built the wall around the basket. They had an absolute, and that was Damian Lillard cannot beat us. So they're going to send a, a hard hedge off of every screen. They're going to box and one him. Like The way the Warriors kicked our ass that game, was really, really tough defense, and Steph Curry being ceiling Steph Curry, like the 99th percentile Steph Curry. What makes me worried is, of course, our defense is bad. We are really easy to stop offensively. If they load up on Dame, build a wall around him, so he either passes it to a teammate, or when he drives, it's against three set bodies around the basket, we're really easy to stop. They don't absolutely sell out to get defend CJ, but I think eventually they will once they realize Dame has to rest. They're going to do the same thing to CJ. So I think the number one worry for me outside of the defense is generating easy buckets. I think that we have a really difficult time. And if we can generate easy buckets, the basket gets bigger and it's easier to score. So how, how did you feel about the uh, Warriors' defensive efforts to stop Dame in game uh game two of that series. I think just in general, the Warriors were much more involved. Mm -hmm. They were locked in. They were focused. You could tell probably four minutes into the game, it was going to be a much different contest. Uh, Draymond was incredibly active, made his presence felt. There were two plays in particular. We talked about over text where Nurkic made the right read. But Draymond predicted that Nurkic was going to make that right read on the lob to Derek Jones, and he ate it up both times. Um, so when you play against a defender like that, you almost have to think two moves ahead. Like, he thinks I'm going to throw the lob. Maybe I should hit it with the bounce pass or the chest pass um, or, or even just fake and take the, the you know, the midi. Um, the Golden State, they had heard enough. Um, this is not a team, I think, that's going to be in contention. They might make the playoffs. They might make the play-in. But 
NBA teams over the course of a long season with, with any pride. They're, they're going to respond when, when they feel like they've heard enough. There was a lot of slander out there. Um, this is a defining legacy for Steph Curry. Uh, there was just a lot of chatter. And this was the disadvantage of the baseball scheduling due mm-hmm. to the coronavirus, where the Blazers were stuck in the Bay Area for, for back-to-back games. Had this been a regular season, we go New Year's Day, we, we kick their ass, we move on to another team, we probably get to get you know detailed scouting information on another team, start to prep and plan. But you're talking about a playoff environment without playoff. The stakes aren't as high mm-hmm. and the, the ramifications aren't, aren't as high for, for losing. So if you lose the second game in the playoffs, that's huge. If you lose in the regular season, it, it's not as big of a deal. And so you've got one team turned up. Um, Steph was on a mission for, from the jump. And I don't think Portland played particularly bad. Uh, they didn't shoot as hot as they did in, in the first contest. And that really you know, negated a lot of things and they, they came out, they played physical, the, the, the refs always favor the more physical team and they got the benefit of the calls. Uh, there's no doubt about that there. It got our players and our primary defenders, Jones and Covington and foul trouble, but Golden State in general, I think they, they, they just wanted it more. Um, and that's going to happen over the course of a season. It's just a regular season game. Um, defensively, I thought Dame still got the looks. I think CJ got the looks. I mean, we got a lot of great looks. Our shooters got fantastic looks from three. Um, they didn't drop. I, I would say I do think we fell in love with the three. I think we fell in love with the isolation. Um, there was no ball movement. Um, there was a lot of quick threes. It felt like we were trying to hit the home run every single time. Once you got down in that second quarter, I believe we got outscored 30 to 21. Uh, we pressed and you could tell because they knew Steph always had an answer or there was a a questionable foul that was kind of taking us out of our rhythm. When you get down, especially on the road, a lot of things have to go right to get back and they have to go right in succession. Uh, It just, the Portland could never get into that rhythm and it just all kind of, there's just a domino effect and it's kind of snowballed on the Blazers and you kind of have to, chalk it up as one of those nights. Were there things Portland could have done better? Absolutely. Um, but again, it's going to be really tough. Like if, if we chart out these back-to-back games against all NBA teams uh, playing each other, I don't think you're going to see many sweeps, let alone road sweeps. So you have to be content. I don't know if you necessarily are happy with the two and two road trip, because after you get that first one at the Lakers expectations they inherently rise. That's the toughest one in the trip. You get that one. Golden State's reeling. I mean, I watched them play against the Pistons and the Bulls. It took a Damian Lee buzzer reader to beat the, the Chicago Bulls um, in the Windy City. Barely squeaked by Detroit as well. Uh, and clearly, I, I do think we're the better team. You play them in a series. Portland, I think, wins in four or five. Three just got into one of those zones. And it's it, last year, I tweeted this out. They remind me a lot of the 19. 19- 20 Portland Trailblazers where you've got a superstar who has the ability to go in God mode and take game over in the regular season. It's going to be tough to beat. And we saw that with Dame, like he had that best stretch in January. It elevated the play of there's like Hassan Whiteside and Trevor Ariza and Dame carried us by himself. Steph did that. I mean, we're going to discuss some certain coverages that maybe we would have liked to have seen, but I'm telling you, a lot of the shots that I saw him hit were were difficult and mm-hmm. highly difficult. A, a certain, you know, over the course of if this was a playoff game, a playoff series, I'm taking my chances with him hitting those shots. 
Mm-hmm. I think that he hit a lot of difficult shots because he, he was he was feeling he was 99th percent. This was the best scoring game he's ever had. He's one of the best shooters ever. And when he has the best game ever, I mean, shit, it, it's going to be tough to defend. Um, one thing I like the second Warriors game is the Dame trailer three. I think when we made our run, we made stops defensively and then CJ or Gary Trent Jr. pushed and Dame was like on the trail position and launched open threes. And it really got him into a groove that third quarter where he's, I think he's hit at least 11 points. Like finding, finding Dame as a trailer on the fast break has to be one of the best moves that you can possibly do on a fast break. I mean, I don't, I don't really trust Gary Trent to break the defense down for a layup, but damn it, I know he can pass it to, to Damian Lillard for an open three. I think the biggest thing for me this year is going to be talking about easy points and open shots. So if you can generate open shots for Damian, it's, it, it's, a, good, it's a good move for us. Yeah, I, I mean, Steph had a, had a ceiling game. I know he did. We all know he did. You got to kind of shake this one and move on. I think that we tried some things. He's hit some really difficult shots and tip your hat and move on to Chicago. And it's one of those instances where I think he's maybe one of the more unique players to defend. Um, and by no means am I letting Terry thoughts off the hook uh, with James Harden. He's able to implement his diamond defense because Harden has the ball in his hands. He doesn't move off the ball. You can just sit and watch him off the ball. He's not going to move. Watching Curry move without the basketball is one, it's fascinating. It's, it's a lost art. And, you know, I was surprised he was able to sustain that level of energy over the course of 48 minutes. I don't think he uh, sat out in the third period at all. And he is just so tricky and crafty at getting to a spot and he only needs an an eyelash of opening exactly like, like, a, like Damian Lillard, but um, golden state was, was utilizing picks out high. They were getting away with a little bit of a, some, some moving screens, but that's to be expected, especially when you're in somebody else's gym, they were allowing him to score uh, off the screen roll. He was scoring off of the catch and shoot. He was ISOing. I mean, it, just the amount of effort he put into on some of those shots, you have to tip your hat. Um, I've seen a lot of people talk about, you know, why didn't we deny him the ball? Why didn't we, we blitz him? Um, you know, we had cancer in there for the majority of the game. Um, you know, Steph does do really well when you put a big on him because he's going to blow by him or shake him on the perimeter. I would have liked to have seen a little bit of adjustments, but it's not like he was just sitting out there on an island one-on-one. Like he was scoring in a bevy of ways, Sage, and it's it's not like he's predictable either. I mean, he's he'll decide one time down the floor he's going to ISO you, and he's going to dish it out to a teammate, and the next time he might just run off four screens. And I, I don't, I watched his highlights four or five times over and over again to see if I could nitpick something our defense did. Dame stuck with him. GT stuck with him for aside from one or two shakes. Uh, Derek and Robert always had in constant communication. This was just a generational talent, a two-time MVP award winner in his zone. As Blazer fans, we should know what that's like because our guy gets in that zone as well. Um, 
the problem with with defending a player like Steph Curry in Portland's current rotation is, you know, I've heard a lot of, you know, Derek Jones or Robert Covington. Both those players were in foul trouble. And in Covington's instance, I specifically watched him in the second half. He was allowing layups because he didn't want to pick up his fifth and sixth fouls. Then you have Yusuf Nurkic, who is still out of shape, and he's not really a force on either end. He's not a threat to do anything. And so then you're forced to play Enes Cantor, who's keeping in the game offensively, but defensively, it's probably not the best situation. So then what do you do? You go super small for Robert Covington? I mean, we already got killed on the boards that game playing a traditional center. We got killed in the paint as well. I think you go small. I mean, it's it's almost like you have a boat and it, there's multiple holes that, that are leaking water. You only have so many pieces of bubblegum and Golden State had an answer for every single thing we wanted to do. Um, it'll be interesting to see how we defend Curry uh, in, in March uh, in Portland. But I think it's just one of those games where you have to tip your hat. And, you know, I, I've seen a lot of people want to put Harry Giles in there. And, you know, I agree. Harry would have given us a good look, but, you know, Ennis Cantor was saving us. We were not shooting the ball well. Like his ability to get to the free throw line, to finish around the rim, to score with extreme proficiency around the rim, he was saving us. And Cantor wasn't the only one getting cooked by, by Curry. So let's 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 squash that narrative uh, right there. It wasn't just just Ennis. If, if Ennis hadn't been on the floor, I think we'd probably lose by, by even more. Um, so I think it's a night where the Blazer fans are just frustrated in general that, that things didn't go our way, that we're a three and three team when we probably should be at least four and two. Um, but removing yourself from the emotions of the game, it's the reason it's, it was nice to record tonight instead of Sunday is the fact that you have to look at, this isn't just an individual game when you have these back-to-back sets, it's going to be difficult. You know, we get Memphis on this homestand back-to-back and they probably will be without Jaron Jackson and John Morant but I, I don't think it's going to be a cakewalk to beat them twice. Um, especially in the regular season, you're not going to have a lot of adjustments. Like in a playoff series, you can start to map out things of what you want to do. Um, I've got maybe contingency plans of what I want to do, because you know, you have at least four to five games in, in that series, but these are just two regular season games with a, a day off in between. And you don't really have a lot of time to, to prep for them because you're, you're playing every other day in this condensed season and you basically just have to say, here's my five to seven guys versus your five. What are we going to do now? Some in-game adjustments are, are needed, not naive in that aspect, but I just want our, our, our listeners out there to, to be in, you know, cohesion with us that it's going to be tough and we got to split on the road. You take it. And I think you can really hit that panic button if we don't make our hay during this home stance. Like right now I'm mildly concerned, but we did beat the fucking Lakers in LA. We looked damn good doing it. Um, we looked amazing against the Golden State Warriors in the first. Game. Let's do it at home. Uh, you know, is our is our focus there? Is our mental there? Are are we playing crisp? Are we sharing the basketball? Like, are we doing all of the little things? Um, if yes, we're gonna win. If not, then then we can start to get that that hot seat a little bit warmer on coaching staff and put more pressure on them to to make the changes. But. We're six games in, Sage. We're a game and a half out. Every team has at least two losses in the Western Conference. The Denver Nuggets are one and three at home. Uh, they look god-awful. Um, Phoenix just beat Denver and Utah on the road on New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. They come home to play the Clippers, and at one point they were down like 30 or 35 points. Yeah, they came back to make it respectable, but this is just a weird season. There is going to be a lot of focus that is lost. 
Um, you've got COVID protocols. You've got people who have to be in quarantine. Like we're talking about, you know, Kevin Durant's now out for four games at least. Uh, the Clippers, um, just members of their staff had to, had to be quarantined and taken home in sprinter vans. Um, there's just a lot of shit that's, that's going on. Not to mention all the injuries that are going to happen from a rushed recovered season. Mm-hmm. Um, we're already seeing it with Portland Sage. I mean, Mello missed one game against the Lakers. Trent missed the following two. Uh, Hood's but missed the last, you know, two and a half games. This um, year's been out the entire year. This year's not the entire year. You know, we're not getting Zach Collins back anytime soon. We're still working Nurkic back in. We're yeah, incorporating a, a small tissue injuries. It, it's been rough. I mean, I, I don't think I don't think you can use previous year's indicators of success in a in this weird season just because, dude. It's it it's so much different. Like we never had to worry about COVID taking out a star player like Kevin Durant. Like the, the this stuff is different. So you have to take your successes and failures with less variance. Like don't let a, a, a bad game ruin, you know, your, your day. And, and you brought up Nurk is not playing well. And yeah, like he was a negative 14 plus minus that day. He wasn't doing anything. Uh, one, one thing that I've kind of realized when you have a legitimate backup center, you're going to always find minutes for him. I, I was looking uh, today at uh, Andre Drummond. Um, and, and if you don't know about the Cleveland Cavaliers, JaVale McGee is the backup center. And they don't play Andre Drummond the 36 minutes that you would expect him to play because JaVale McGee is legitimately good. So sometimes Nurkic isn't going to play as many minutes just because Ennis Cantor deserves at least 20 minutes of this of it. And if he happens to be playing really well, Nurkic who didn't have a particularly great game is going to be negatively affected by Ennis's skill set and what he's doing. So, you know, it, it, it's, it's a tough thing to really look at some losses that you think are attainable wins. But in this, in this instance, in this year, sometimes it's going to, we're going to have to take some weird L's because of the condensed schedule and potential people being out. So it's it's a, it's a very weird year. Yeah. And so you, you brought up use of near kitchen. That was one of my, my five questions slash talking points for part of our, part of the starting five, the new segment uh, I wanted to, you know, we wanted to bring to, to our listeners. And so I wanted to serve it up to you Sage. Like what do the Blazers do at center? Uh, use of Nurkic is averaging career lows. Um, he's under 10 points per game when he's traditionally a 15 to 17 point performer. Uh, NS is putting up 12 and a half points, 9.2 rebounds uh, on just a ridiculous 68.2% shooting, but he's not a defensive presence. Uh, Harry Giles has shown flashes, uh, especially in that third quarter against the Warriors on new year's day, but he seems relegated to, to spot minutes. Um, what, what do the Blazers do there? Uh, is, do you have hopes for Nurkic regaining his form? Um, I'm, frankly, I'm I'm really concerned at how poorly Yusuf Nurkic has has looked through six games, considering the the numbers. He was basically 18-10 uh, in, in the bubble, and we haven't seen any resemblance of that th- this. I mean, I, I think that early season he there, there's some natural. I don't think he can he's played any worse than right now. So I think the there's going to be positive regression in his games. Um, I think that it might be limited. 
because of Ennis playing really well and deserving those minutes. So he has to be more efficient in the time that he's in. And you kind of see the Nurk that tries things and tries to be active and, you know, make highlight plays. So I think what Nurk has to really focus on is in those 26, 28 minutes, maybe even 30 if he's doing really well, is to be efficient in that time. Because I don't think he's going to get the minutes to take care of those inefficiencies in his game. Just because, oh, just like JaVale McGee, Ennis Cantor needs those minutes. So, And you asked me about Harry Giles. I think the real reason he's not getting minutes is because Ennis deserves them, and Terry thinks that he has a better chance at winning with Ennis Cantor as opposed to Harry. I don't think Harry can play the power forward in any real meaningful minutes unless you expect Nurkic or uh, Ennis to be in the perimeter. Our scheme is really based on spacing, and if you have two non-shooters, we've seen it a lot. They'll load up on the on the paint and make it even tougher for us to have spacing. So I think I think defensively it would work. Offensively, I, I just don't see a way that Ennis or Nurkic can play with Harry Giles for a long, meaningful stretch of a rotation. Yeah, back back to Nurkic and, and playing as poorly as he had. I mean, looking at the stats, specifically specifically his his Portland tenure when he came over in that. Uh, deadline deal in 2017 it's easily his worst season so far he's nine points five and a half 7.3 rebounds uh shooting i had to check this number to see if it was right 43 percent from the free throw line 47 percent from the field uh he's only playing 24 minutes uh he's not in really any foul trouble he's two and a half fouls a game sage he, he just looks bad um he looks he, he doesn't look locked in. Uh, there was one, probably one flash that I saw. It was the Houston game where we put him out on the high post and let him dissect in and distribute. And it worked brilliantly. But you also see when Terry tries to give him the ball off of the pick and roll. So basically catching, moving, and then deciding it's much more high variance and you have no idea what you're going to get. Um, he's also struggling to finish around the rim, whether that's on putbacks off of the pick and roll on post-ups. Um, he really should never be attempting a three point shot. I know one went in against the golden state warriors, but it seems like that's the only one he's hit. Um, quite frankly, I don't know if there's anything personal going on. I never like to project, but you also want to be you know, cognizant and aware that these are human beings and there could be something going on. But when he made the comment, I believe it was during media day that, you know, he was going to use training camp to get into shape, game shape. That was a big red flag for me because you see guys like Dame and CJ, they're constantly in the lab over the summer, like getting better. Um, They're coming to camp game. Basically, they just need to work on their, you know, just to fine tune their conditioning, but they are ready to go. Um, Nurkic had to have known this was going to be a, a quick turnaround. There wasn't going to be a lot, a lot of time just to, to have a normal vacation. Um, so the fact that he didn't come into camp ready, that is a red flag. I mean, I've been following the league since 1990. Whenever you see signs of that, that it usually never turns out well. Factor in that he has injury history and he has consistency issues. Uh, in 1617, Nurk fever, the next year came in a skinny Nurk and, and was – pretty let subpar. And that's the reason Portland was able to get him on that $12 million a year contract. It's because he had a bad year. 
Nurse, Yusuf Nurkic is going to be a free agent after the following season in 2022. He signed with Clutch. They are notorious for getting the most amount of money for their their, their client as any agency that, that I can really remember. I am terrified of the idea of having to decide between letting Nurkic walk for nothing or paying him 20 plus million dollars a year. Like this is this is a core that is tied up 70, 75 million dollars into Damon CJ. You got GT who's going to get paid next year, DJ who could get paid next year, Roko, who is going to be a free agent in the same year as Yusuf Nurkic. And that is a lot of money for a team that we don't really know where their ceiling is at or where they're going to be. So I'm not on the trade Nurkic wagon, but I think if you're a GM, you need to start to projecting your money and what the roster is going to look like multiple years down the road. You can't just be like, this is our team and this is all we're thinking about this season. Yes, you know, if you're in contention, you really want to lock in and not make any moves that will ruffle the feathers for future seasons. But Portland needs to really be delicate in this situation because when you hand out those big contracts, you have to know they're going to be to players who are consistent, like Dame and CJ. They they, they are worth the funds, and every NBA team w- would take those players. I mean, right now, I was looking. We dedicated 24% of our salary cap to Dame and CJ. Nurk is getting 9%. And if you're telling me that he's going to get to the 24% or 22% of a CJ McCollum making $29 million a year or a little less or whatever, you're giving out 20% of your salary to, to a guy who's been inconsistent. He's had really high heights and really low lows. And I, I don't know if, I don't know if it's a safe bet to give him the money he thinks he deserves when he's playing pretty, pretty, I mean, this is the worst he's played in his entire career i know he's i know he had to battle with two other legitimate nba big men in denver but he still contributed more than he does now i think there's flashes where he plays well and then flashes where damn maybe ennis or shit maybe harry giles can give us a little splash of life but i i think that there's going to be positive regression in his game and we're going to see a more consistent Nurk. It's just about the efficiency that he's going to have to perform at to really show how good he is. And I know he's mentioned how difficult it's been to play without fans. Um, But at a certain point you have to accept the realities. That's how it was in the bubble. And he performed quite nicely there as well. Uh, you got your teammates, you got your coaching staff, you got everybody's watching. We're cheering him on. Like he gets so much, you know, interaction positively on social. And, you know, he's a fantastic member of our locker room. And, and Sage, I remember just talking about this in July and August about Nurkic is the best value big man. And is is there a case that he's the best center in the game? Like the only things we were we were saying that was holding him back, consistency and health. Where would you put this version of Yusuf Nurkic? I wouldn't want to disrespect him like that, so I wouldn't make that list, but that goes to show you how low I think he would he would fall. Um, Is Steven Adams better than him? I think you're, at, you're, you're having the conversation, which is you never want to have that conversation. And, and to put it in salary terms, 
Adams just got a big extension. He's going to be making north of $20 million, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Sage, mm-hmm. for a few more years. And I, I think Blazer fans would not feel comfortable paying Yusuf Nurkic that amount of money for his current production. Yeah, I mean, right now, it, it, I, I think it can't really get worse for Yusuf. I mean, I guess it can, obviously, but we're looking at him as like a... In limited minutes, Christian Boucher is putting up like better stats than Nurk. It, it's tough. Like, there's a lot of talented bigs out there. To, for him to have a negative part of his schedule right now, game after game after game, is rough. So I'm really hoping we feed him against these bad teams. Like, I, I think we've played every team we've played has a legitimate shot at a playoff berth. Now that we're playing some lesser teams, I think it's time for Nurk to eat. I don't really fear him against the Bulls with Lowry out potentially. I I think that these games are critical for Nurk to get comfortable with himself and producing. We've played the Jazz, the Clippers, the Lakers, all really good. The Warriors sold out. We've played four really good defensive teams and we can compliment how good they are now we're playing some lesser skilled teams i think it's time for nurk to get a little more confidence going against lesser competition absolutely agree and to the other part of the question what does what portland do with, with harry giles and, and ennis Cantor? you you brought it up ennis Cantor, we know what he is he's going to get minutes because he's a good he backup cons- big yeah he's got consistent production for for a backup big to be almost averaging a double double uh, in about 20 minutes a game you take that every night. So you know, Harry Giles may be relegated to spot minutes unless a spot opens up. And I don't know if that's Nurk being traded or possibly benched. Uh, I don't know. But I, I think I, that Nurk, I, mean, I think that NS has his spot locked down. The only real way Harry Giles gets more minutes is if Nurk regresses more, negatively regresses more, and we're forced to put Harry Giles in. And that's a that's a subject that I don't want to think about where Nurk is so bad that we need Harry Giles to pull us out of a, a, a slump. So I think in a perfect world, Harry Giles doesn't play any minutes because Nurk's playing 28 and playing really efficient and good. And then Ennis gets, is the direct backup. That's, that's in my perfect world. Harry Giles doesn't get any run at the five and I don't think he can play before. So we've kind of talked about what has gone wrong over the first six games, but to put to put a positive spin on it, th- there have been some bright spots, and I think maybe the brightest spot has been the play of, of CJ McCollum. Uh, he's putting up career highs in points, 28 assists uh, at 5.7, uh, field goal attempts uh, at 22, three-point makes, four, four and a half, three-point attempts. He had talked about that being uh, a key for him. He has a career high at 10.8 three-point uh, attempts per game, and he is – splashing them a career high 43.1 percent from downtown he is averaging only 0.7 turnovers a game and he's getting to the line uh, it's not the clip of damian lillard but we're seeing positive um mm. progression four four attempts at the free throw line he won us the game against houston he has looked absolutely marvelous um sage so i've got a few questions for you about about cj so one will he keep it up and if so does that earn him an all-star spot I don't know if it, 
What is he shooting? What what percentages? He's shooting 43% on 11 attempts from three. I mean, he's averaging damn near 30 points per game. I would have a hard time. If he keeps up this production, there's no way in hell he doesn't make an all-star team. But do you think he keeps the, the, the level of efficiency and production up this high for that's for, the question for, but you you asked all-star and i said if right now yes like those numbers get you on the all-star team yeah I mean, yes if he keeps it up yes but there's that question can he keep it up i mean he's he's every everything right now is up for him and everything that is down for Yusuf Durkic. and we we talked about this like those two don't play nice together well actually let's say dame cj and nurk don't play nice with one another in terms of usage i think dame is is actually the sponge that makes usage not as good right now cuz when uh, cj is on with nurk they both split responsibilities of handling the ball with dame out when dame's on the floor with nurk nurk doesn't touch the fucking ball like it, it's at a level where it's like mitchell robinson levels of ball handling responsibilities. So I, I think I would say though, in that last game against golden state in the first half, Dame fed Nurk four or five straight times and Nurk either fumbled the passes or or made a turnover. So I I think the blazers are trying to get him the ball. He's just not. Well, the the warriors made a concerted effort to clog that fucking pain. Like Whenever Nurkic got the ball, it was two dudes standing right there trying to make a play on the ball. And Draymond Green's probably one of the best post defenders in the league. So, I mean, to go back to CJ, I think that if he keeps it up, he's an all-star. But if there's any negative regression, we'll see. There's a lot of good guards in this league, and he doesn't have the 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 rep that some of these other guards do i mean we we play in the pacific northwest most of the beat writers in the east coast don't even watch our games because they're asleep you know it's like 10 p.m their time when when we tip off so how many games do eastern coast people actually see of us so i I think if he keeps it up yes but if he does if there's any slip maybe Okay, so I, I agree. I think he, if he keeps it up, he's definitely in there. I also think team success plays heavy into that. If we're top four in the West, probably going to get two All-Stars if, if Damon CJ continued to play at this level. And speaking of Damon CJ, I was talking to you earlier about usage rate because it seems like it's been feast or famine in terms of usage with, with our guards. And clearly there are two best players, so theoretically you would want them handling and shooting the ball the most out of anyone else. And, and right now CJ's usage rate is a career high 29%. Dame is at 30%. Can Portland win with their dynamic duo playing this way? Or does the wealth need to be spread out a little more evenly because you've got players like Robert Covington uh, and Derek Jones Jr. who really aren't getting a ton of looks. Uh, but I don't think our offense is designed. First of all, I don't think either of DJJ and Robert Covington are going to be high usage rate players. They just never have been. They're agree. But shouldn't Robert Covington, using Cov as an example, he's only shooting uh, about six attempts per game, uh, four from three. Like we got him to be a three and D. I know his his three point shots not where we wanted at right now at 21, 28%, excuse me. But it seems like we got him, you know, to spread the floor. So when you're looking at, at Cove, like 
the only time that I'm really seeing him shoot threes is like maybe off of transition or loose balls, but we're rarely running any drive and penetration. I don't know if that's a defense staying on him, if we're not moving him around. Um, it seems like for and to, to DJ's uh, role, I don't necessarily want him just stuck in the corner as well. Like in that but later he, he's game, he's not really he in was, the corner. He's no, actually in the I, I understand that, but I'm but what I'm saying is he's even not he's not getting a lot of looks at the rim either. Like he's a slasher, and we maybe see it once or twice. He's there, he's open. Like our CJ had a play against the Warriors, and DJ was streaking on his right side, and he completely didn't see him and threw it out to somebody for a three that just was bricked. So I guess my question is, are Damon CJ good enough to have this high of a usage and us win at a high level, or should it be more Dame and then it needs to be spread out evenly amongst the rest of the, the rotational players? If, if I had my brothers, those two are the engines of our offense. I, I don't, I would rather not have Robert Covington and DJJ be high usage rate players because I don't think that that's in their wheelhouse. I, how many players do you think can be potential engines in the NBA? It's not that many. So the fact that we have two guys that can be the all, be the the center of the team 18 minutes when they're on the floor by themselves, I think that that's a very valuable asset. And I, I kind of welcome CJ taking over more responsibilities as a creator. Do I wish that Nurk could get more usage? Yes. But right now, with how well CJ is playing, I don't think he's going to want to relinquish that creator responsibility. And I don't think he should because he actually is playing really well. I'm not necessarily saying I want DJ and Roko to handle the ball and up their usage rates that way. I think we need to get them more open looks because... Yeah, yeah. generating open looks, absolutely. Because when the Blazers play at their best, they pass the ball. CJ, specifically... He had 11 assists against Houston, eight assists against the Lakers. Those are two of our three wins right there. Uh, we need him, if he's going to be a creator, to rack up those assist numbers. Like he's he's not a Clay Thompson type of player where it's, you know, get open, catch and shoot. He has the ball in his hands for multiple seconds at a time, whether it's creating a shot on his own or finding one for others. I think the Blazers, over the course of that road trip, you could see them start to fall back into their old tendencies. There was much more isolation, not as much movement. And I just don't think our, and our, you mentioned it, our offense looks average right now. And that's what the statistics say. I think we're 12th in offensive rating. Uh, our defensive rating is horrible. So if we want any chance at winning, we at least need to be elite on the offensive end of the ball. So it, it's it's just difficult. I think Portland's in a bit of a catch 22 with, with a lot of things we've, we've been discussing. Um, but I agree. I, I do think Damon CJ need to have the ball in their hands, but I would just like them to generate for others um, a little bit more and don't try and force it as much. We're just a better team when everybody's eaten and well, when everybody, everybody's eaten an offense, it naturally upticks the defense. There's a wonderful stat that is called potential assists. Dame averages 13 potential assists. CJ averages nine potential assists. So, and, and CJ, in actuality, gets five. So he is passing the ball, and they just aren't hitting a good number of his, of his potential assists. They're making a little over half. So I, I think that they are doing a really good job of 
at least trying to get these guys into scoring position, but you know, with Roko not playing as well as we would hope, some of those potential assists from our two creators aren't really happening. I think CJ and Dame are at a nice spot in terms of how they're creating and getting their guys potentially involved. It hasn't worked out yet. We've played legitimately good defensive teams. Once once we can get a momentum against some baddies, a lot of these statistics are going to look a lot better. Just the defenses are really, really trying to make it so as difficult as possible. So I, I, I do think Roka will pick it up, but this is the kind of guy he's been for his entire career. He's He needs to get spoon-fed shots. He's taking some, but... I think once he gets more familiar with his teammates and the offense and more games have happened, you're going to see a more aggressive Rocco, but don't expect him to be a crazy usage rate guy. Cause that's, that's not him. Yeah. And so to my, my next point um, in the starting five, it feels like we are more isolation heavy and we aren't passing the basketball as much as we should or could uh, we're 27th in assists per game at 27.1 after being dead last last season at 20.6. So it's always tricky to do these statistics when you're comparing a full season versus only a six game sample size. But Portland's had a few problem areas over the course of Terry Stotts' tenure, and they are going to be looked under a microscope until they are fixed. One of those is lack of assists. The other is is defense. So we'll, we'll start with the lack of assists. In the wins, like this team clearly has the, the ability to, to share the basketball. In the wins, they, they've had 27 each against Houston and Los Angeles, 23 against that, that New Year's Day performance against the Warriors. That's averaging 25.7. That would be good enough for eighth in the NBA, and everyone would be throwing a fucking parade if that were the, the case over the first six games. However, in the losses, and you talked about the defenses playing well, Averaging just 17.7 assists per game, um, really struggling to move the basketball. And it's tough playing against elite defenses early on when you're trying to incorporate new players in, in a shortened season. But I think that's an area that I'm going to to really watch as as this, this homestand really unfolds because you are playing weaker defenses, which means you should be able to get to your spots easier. Players should be more open. Uh, You should be able to take advantage of poor rotations and people sleeping on that end of the floor. And I want to see a lot of backdoor cuts by DJ. I want to see open looks from GT and Rocco. Um, But I I think the the root of the problem, I think Portland will never be truly elite at sharing the basketball. It just comes with only having two playmakers. That's something that Neil O'Shea for as good of an offseason as he had, he did not address that. We do not have a third ball handler. We don't have – even Damon CJ, they look to shoot before they look to pass. We don't have a true distributor out there trying to get people I, open. I think Anthony's played better in his limited runs. He's played better, but he's a But I don't runner. think he's a creator. No. But, uh, and he's got one move, and that's the pull-up three. I mean, he had he had a dunk against the, the Warriors the second game, but he's looked more – he's looked more confident shooting his – his trademarked pull-up three. I think we were watching the games and Olga even mentioned, it's like, is that all that Ant does? And I was like, yeah, that, that, that that's his go-to. That's all he knows how to do right now. But if you look um, at, if you look at every young guard or elite guard in the league, besides Russell Westbrook and I guess John Wall, that pull-up J is incredibly important to their arsenal of moves. 
The lack of assists, and I know you, you brought up potential assists, but specifically looking at the games where, where we get waxed, Golden State, the Clippers, I didn't see many potential assists. Now, maybe like those were straight ISO heavy basketball game. I mean, Melo does a lot of his own. And, and I think when Portland gets into a hole, as I mentioned earlier, they like to try to dig out of it right away and hit that hit that that big shot that they think is going to erase a 15 point deficit in one position. It feels like they lack, yeah, they, they lack the patience. Uh, you saw that uh, last night against Golden State. Um, Do you have the stats pulled up for the wins? Assists per game in the wins, yes. What did Dame 20, and CJ? What did those two individually do in those wins? So in the wins, um, as I mentioned, for CJ, he had uh, eleven against the Lakers, eight against the Houston Rockets, and he had four against the the Golden State Warriors. For um, Damian Lillard, pulling those up right in those wins. Nine against Houston, five against the Lakers, and eight against the Warriors. So those were all um, the the nine and eight were the two highest marks that he had on the season. So, and I think that he has put a really big emphasis on getting his teammates involved. It's just sometimes those shots don't go in. I think in those wins, those potential assists turn into real assists, and the when we lose, and the defense pl- the plays better those potential assists are just potential assists. But I think that when we play well, those two happen to be the main catalyst for assisting, or some could say the lone catalyst for assisting. Honestly, what I think that the problem is, is it's Yusuf Nurkic. Um, And I hate to harp on the big fella, but Dame used to eat on that pick and roll with Nurk. Um, He, in the the Utah game, he he tried to really utilize him. He tried to utilize him a lot in in the second Golden State game. Nurk's just not finishing. He's not in in the condition. He's not able to be a a true threat. And that's that's a big part of the Terry Stotts offense. It's the high pick and roll with Dame Nurkic. It was absolutely lethal in the bubble. Um, Nurk was just blaming on people or making the, the hockey assist. It's just not there. And that's that's Dame's primary. I think method uh, of distributing is the pick and roll. And now he's having to do it with, with Ennis cancer uh, a little bit more. Um, what I'm really talking about with, with the assists are when I see us make a cut and then DJ is just going baseline. Are we making that pass? Like, are we throwing a, are we throwing a lob pass to DJ? Like are, are we doing something other than a pick and roll? And so that's just what I want to see. Maybe that's not the Terry Stotts offense, but. I just saw a weird stat that I need to, actually check what's today's day the fourth mm-hmm. when did the nba season start 22 for us 23 okay holy shit hmm you know what this is a weird stat that i'm gonna bring up so according to nba wowie in the times that dame is on the floor with nurk and no cj nurk does hasn't scored that's a fucking problem because you just mentioned the fact that damon cj working with pick and roll is deadly and it's been deadly for years from december 23rd to january 4th today nurk hasn't put up a single point and has five percent usage that is a problem that we need to really address and work on because that pick and roll, like, 
we're either ISOing dribble drive to the hoop or pick and rolling. So if we don't have a pick and roll buddy for Dame, that is a serious problem. And we need to, I, I think for me, I'm going to focus on the Dame Nurk pick and roll and seeing if we can generate some points for use of Nurkic in this set. In these possessions, Nurkic is the lowest usage rate of any of the players that have played when Dame and Nurk are on and CJ's off. That is a humongous problem with our offense. If we can address that and get Nurk some points and Dame some easy layups or threes, it's going to be huge. So in this next week of basketball, I'm watching the pick and roll between Dame and Nurk with CJ off the floor. I mean, that that's outrageously like, fuck. Well, he's averaging nine points a game, so it, it's not too, too surprising. In his last three well, games, Gary he's Trent gone for... averages twice as much usage in those scenarios as, as Yusuf Nurkic. Well, GT was cooking against the Lakers. But he has a 10% usage. Nurk has a five. He's unplayable at this point. That's what I've been trying to say. Like, he needs to pick it up. But that's a, that, that's a glaring. Yes. Nurk in the pick and roll is a really good. Just think of the, the bubble. <laughs> you see him being a, a legitimately great pick and roll guy. We've, we've seen it. It's, it's not that far in the past. It's like 10 games ago, if you really think about it. He was a really good pick and roll player. That that's I've that might be the thing that we need to address is that pick and roll presence between Dame and Nurk. Another reason for our lack of assists, obviously we named the major ones, but I think that the fact that Gary's been hurt, Mello's been hurt, Hood's been hurt, Anthony Simons has been hurt. How are you gonna get used to playing your role in a second unit when damn near every game we played, we haven't had the full arsenal of players? I think if I we would, can play, I would argue that our second unit is all gunners, except for Ennis Cantor, who's there to clean everything up. So Melo's not passing the ball; he only passes to Dame or CJ. Uh, GT is—he's out there to score. Ant is not a playmaker at, at distributing. He, he's there to, to get his own shot off, and he—he he, he does that, and he's looked more confident. But that's what he does. Um, Hood again—he made one really. Tremendous pass in that Laker game uh, to Ennis. He even joked about him. Finally finished with with his left hand. So there's a little bit there. But again, Hoodie's there to score. We, we don't have creators, uh, so I, I don't expect our assist numbers to ever be high. But it was a little mind blowing to see that in our three wins, our assist holes will be good enough to be top third of the league. So it's mm-hmm. it's there. It's a potential. It, it's on Damon CJ to get even better looks. It's not just trying to thread a needle on a pick and roll. It's can you drive to the basket and get two players on you and then get, get an easy point in the paint. You don't necessarily have to kick it out for a three. Like we have the best, one of the best lob threats in the game and DJ and we've thrown him one, you know, Nurk's doubled and tripled the amount of potential lobs to, to DJJ. Um, I mean, just look at that, that Houston game. There was a stretch in the fourth quarter where we were absolutely playing brilliant basketball. Just everyone was clicking. We were moving without the basketball. Um, I know that takes time, but we, we have seen it. And so hopefully mm. we see that more over the, the next homestand. But my last point on, on our starting five for, uh, for this podcast stage was, you know, the topic of preseason has been about defense. Everyone's been, been talking about it. Um, 
it was a huge pain point for the Blazers last year, and it really hasn't improved. In fact, it, it's gotten a, a little bit bit worse. Uh, so through six games, Portland ranks 28th in defensive rating, a little over 115, uh, and we are allowing uh, 119 points per game, which is 26 uh, in the in the in the NBA. We we allowed 116 last year. Um, you know, and here are, are a couple of, I, I broke it down just in the limited statistics that, that, that I wanted to kind of look at to see where we were giving up the, the, the most points to the opposition. You look at the perimeter this year, we have allowed uh, about 36 threes per game and teams are shooting at about 36%. That's an improvement over last year. Last year, uh, teams were shooting it at about 38%. Um, so we, we have made a marginal uh, improvement there. Um, free throws. Are we giving up more free throws? We saw Steph Curry get to the line 19 times last game. Uh, this season so far, we're allowing 26 uh, free throws per game. Last season, it was 24 and a half. So there has been a small uptick there. Here's where I saw the glaring weakness. Paint, paint protection, 100%. We are allowing 50.3 points per game in the paint, 24th in, in the NBA uh, last year, three points better, 47 points in the paint allowed. Um, at what point does this become an issue to panic about, Sage? Um, and I'm, are you concerned at all? I'm concerned about our paint defense. I really am. I don't think that comparing this year and last year is a good representation of improvement because we've changed so much. Nurkic didn't play. Hood didn't play. We had Trevor Ariza and Carmelo Anthony as our starting fours or starting forwards. It's tough to compare last year's version to this year's version. The only way that you could really do it is we put a time machine and put this year's team against last year's opponents, and they have they're hot at the same time. I think that once we play some worse teams, our defense is going to look. The uh, circumstance that scares me the most is the paint because I feel and seen a lot of guards just waltz into our paint without any without any pressure being uh, pushed to them. So I think that's the part that scares me. Us giving up fouls, it happens. We're we're more aggressive. Steph Curry's free throw percentage or free throw amount probably tilted the scales quite a bit. Um, I think that we need to really focus on giving up interior pressure and that's on use of Nurkic and uh, Ennis. And I, I know Ennis, we all know he isn't the best defender. So I think the deficiencies of him have to be made up by our, our talented wings that can, can help him. I mean, so, I think it's all on, on Terry Stotts right now. He, he has the, the tools in the toolbox to become a better defensive team. I mean, you were kind of making my argument for me when you were talking about how, I mean, just the names you were listing off last year. Don't, don't even mention Anthony Tolliver, Mario Hazonia, mm-hmm. Quinion Gabriel. I mean, we just had a, a litany of players rotating through there. Scalabissier. They're not even in the league. A lot of those players aren't even in the league anymore. Uh, we went out, used every realistic tool to upgrade, and we focused on defense, and somehow we're still worse. So, yes, well, I understand. of Ennis Cantor doesn't help yet, the interior pressure. And then we, we played an entire game with Hassan Whiteside, and I don't think 
he him on the perimeter is any better than, than Ennis. I think the problem is but that it's about Terry, the interior. It's about the interior, not the perimeter. But again, if you played how we played last year, we're going to get cooked on the three. So either way, the numbers are we're going to get beat one of the other ways. I think. I, it, I, th- I think our perimeter defense is in fact better than last year because yes, but again, if, rotations. If, even if we had Hassan, I don't think he's he's making Hassan can't play for the Kings right now. <laughs> what what, I, what I'm saying is, it's all exclusively on Terry Stotts. He has to figure out a rotation that works and be a little bit more nimble in the in-game adjustments. I'll give him I'll give him a pass for Steph Curry getting 62 points because Steph Curry is Steph Curry. However, we've seen time and time again that NBA coaches. They're, they're much more dutiful. They're incredibly intelligent and they've got staffs that will, the technology at, at their fingertips is incredible. They, they know when certain players are in the game, this is what we're going to do. When Ennis Cantor is in there, specifically with Carmelo Anthony, they are going to bring <laughs> Ennis out and they are just going to let their guards fly by. And that's where we're giving up a lot in the paint. And it's a little unfair to blame Ennis because maybe he shouldn't be in the game when, Steph Curry's in the game. Maybe it should be when, when Steph Curry takes a break and, and Terry's having to you know be a little bit more, I think, flexible and say, okay, this is your strength. I'm going to try to match that strength. Maybe it's playing Harry Giles. Maybe it's going a little bit smaller and, and matching up. Um, just trying something else because every fucking time Hennis was in the game with, with Mello, I saw Golden State halt their offense and, and they literally were like walked Ennis up. <laughs> and Ennis, Ennis tried to do his best, but it doesn't matter if you have Kawhi, LeBron, AD uh, elsewhere. Teams are smart enough now that you, if you have a subpar defender out there, specifically one with slow feet, they are going to attack you at will. So I mean, you've talked about the Ennis mellow thing, and that that's when we have two uh, negative defenders, or to shit three if you look at advanced stats from last year and think of Anthony Simons as, you know, a creator and the third guard. What has worked against us is kind of building that wall defensively around the big. And then as soon as that guard penetrates the lane, those wing players run out to the potential shooter. And then Ennis is in, post position defending and then we can make a switch back that's worked really well against us i wonder how we how it would work if we collapsed in on penetration then ran out really fast on on the close because right now giving up these these uh these layups is bad and you know it's like that know your personnel if we're playing the nuggets do you give a shit if Gary Harris has an open corner three? No. Like, that's what they did against us when we had Farouk and Mo Harkless. We ch- they knew the personnel and invited Al Farouk and Mo to shoot as much as they want. And if they happened to be hot that day, well, that wor- didn't work this time. But since it's a baseball schedule, we're going to play you and do the same exact shit. And you probably won't hit as well as you did before Al Farouk or Mo. You know, that's a really good point. And something else that I noticed over this week's course of basketball was when we played the Clippers, something that was incredibly frustrating to watch happen. Ty Lue completely 
dictated that game. Yes, we would start out with with Covington or DJ on either George or Leonard. However, they would just do a simple handoff with, with the point guard, and it ended up multiple times with George and Leonard on Lillard or McCollum because we would just let them switch. There was mm-hmm. no fighting over the screens. There was no trapping of the basketball. There was no zoning. I mean, th- there was literally nothing. And that's the biggest complaint I have about this defense is we allow offenses to, dip. to get into their sets without any pressure. We let them do it super easy. It's like a Sunday stroll in the park and we don't adjust. Um, I, at this point, and from what I've seen for, from Terry, this is just who he is. We may have to win in in, in spite of that, um, which is really disheartening to think about. Um, and you just, you can't do that. What is the point, Sage, in getting two great wing defenders if you're just going to say, okay, actually go, you're going to actually defend Patrick Beverly on the perimeter away from mm-hmm. the ball? In what world does this make sense? Make it make sense, Sage. Did I felt like, and we're going back a few games, and I don't remember everything about the Laker game, but I felt like Derek and uh, Robert kind of made a point to stay on LeBron and AD. And maybe for that particular game, Terry allowed it. But yeah, I, I think that you can talk all the big shit you want about change, but when you're going against the Clippers and there's stress on you, you're going to go back to what got you there in the first place, right? When I have to record TV commercials, I forget all the nifty shit I know I can do on a podcast. I do what I got that got me the job in the first place. So it, it's like a human thing. You you can talk about change, but a lot of New Year's resolutions don't happen because you, you are who you are as a person and when things get tough. Yeah, and I also think that... Frank Vogel, he, he didn't really utilize any, he welcomed the, the matchups. It was almost like, they're like, we're, we're better than you. We're just going to see what, what LeBron can do on DJ. It didn't really, they didn't try to do anything too, too different on that. I just, I thought Ty Lue had, had a smart Admittedly, play. I like, think the Clippers are the best coach team in the league. Yeah, and it was it was frustrating to, and this kind of goes back to other talking points. But with all the shit the Blazers talked about the Clippers on social media after they lost that three one lead, to come into that game, that's one of the reasons I thought we would actually beat them. You know, we just came off of beating the Lakers, and the Clippers were the ones that remembered all that shit talking, mm-hmm. and they, they kind of put us in our place. And yeah, kind of like Spat- the Warriors. Yeah, Nichols Batum got hot, but you know, whether it's one game or seven games let Nicholas Batum shoot. We, we cannot allow personnel, man. Exactly. You cannot allow Paul George and Kawhi Leonard to dictate what they want to do against smaller defenders. And so the last point I have Sage is, you know, on this topic of defense, is there anything you've seen over this first six games to suggest that improvement is on the way? You know, do we have the personnel to become just an average defensive team or is coaching holding us back? I mean, what is it? Because this has been the topic du jour for the past probably three or four seasons in Portland and seems like it's about to reach a boiling point. If, if we don't start seeing any improvement. I think that once Nurk can get in more shape, we'll have more plus defenders. I think that this, this takes time and you have to really identify the things that they do well and build that scheme around it. And I think that we have been less aggressive in these losses. So can we get better? Of course, but there's other factors that dictate us not. 
Uh, we I just went through the whole Terry Stotts going back to what got him there. Um, if we can, I think we can. It's just about the coaching and the play and um, empowering the players to be more aggressive. So it's on it's on Stotts, the coaching staff, and then the players to do what the coach says. All right, let's take a few fan questions. Uh, and I, I've got a feeling a lot of them are going to be about the defensive side of the ball. Again, that, that's the hot hot button issue here in, in Rip City. So uh, Stuart Campbell uh, at Stuart with, with two U's uh, on Twitter has a couple questions for us. First question, why was the crunch time lineup last night? Dame, CJ, Ant, Mello, Cantor. He says defensively it was terrible. So was it just a need for more offense or was it mixing it up lineups to mix it up? What about GT? I noticed that lineup as well, but I wanted to hear your thoughts first Sage. So it was Damien, Mello, CJ, Cantor. Uh, Simons. Simons. I like the fact that they, we put Simons in. I thought that that showed trust. Um, I think that Nurk played really shitty that game. And at least Ennis produced offensively. We dealt with a lot of fouls. And I think it's valuable to give your young guards some added uh, responsibilities when they played well. But there was factors. There's there's factors on why we that was the end of the rotation lineup. Yeah, I probably wouldn't have used that lineup specifically going into detail about how mellow and Cantor have struggled so much defensively. Like when, when you're down, you're not going to win just by, by scoring. You need consecutive stops to, mm-hmm. to get the momentum, start putting pressure on the opposition. I don't think this lineup accomplished that. I really don't ever want to see the, the three guard lineup with, with Dame, CJ and Ant. Uh, I, I think defensively, they're just going to get picked apart. Um, Cantor was playing because Nurkic didn't have it that game. Um, unfortunately, DJJ and Roko, as you mentioned, got into foul trouble. So, so they weren't out there. Um, the clutch lineup happened to not have Anthony. Anthony only played from nine minutes, 43 seconds to seven minutes and two seconds. The, the game uh, was still in, in the, and it was a plus four. What we ran, what we used for the clutch minutes happened to be Damian, CJ, Gary Trent, mellow canter and we actually went on a 10-2 run from six minutes and 49 seconds to five minutes and five minutes we had a a, uh 10-2 run and then it kind of uh it kind of went negative for us yeah i mean that that was you know steph doing steph things but i I don't know maybe you maybe you try and throw harry giles um I don't know. There were a lot of things that that could have went right in there. I I don't know what what Stotts was thinking Cantor about. Had, had went four for five, had eight free throw attempts, five rebounds in that last quarter. Like that, yeah, he you know, produced I think, offensively. Yeah, Cantor had to be on the floor just because he was giving us second chance opportunities. Again, we we've touched touched on Nurch. So if um, if, Dirk, if the conversation me. was Robert Covington, Mello, Robert Covington, DJJ, and Mello. Yeah, we can talk about who we'd rather have there. But I think that because of foul trouble, it pushed Gary Trent and Anthony Simons into a more responsible uh, end-of-game stint. Mello, that might have been the part where it makes me question. 
But Ennis yeah. had to be there. One of our guards had to be there because of foul troubles. You can convince me that Melo didn't have to be on the floor for that last five, uh, last 10 minutes of the game. I but agree Mello with that. that 10 he, minutes of the game was actually pretty shitty. So maybe we should have put a Robert Covington or a DJJ in that situation. Or G Trent and go with, uh, even, even smaller. Um, but yeah, anytime you're trying to make a comeback, Mellow and Cantor is never the answer. Not really sure what, what Terry was thinking there. So I think the only questionable rotation would happen to be mellow. And so another question Gary from Trent, Stewart. Gary Trent actually didn't do well either. But so shit. Yeah, Mello and Gary, defense though. Yeah, but if we're talking about scoring, Mello and Gary didn't but add anything. We don't need scoring. You got Damon CJ. That's that should be it. Like you gotta get gotta get stops. That that's my when you're when you're getting cooked you got to stop the bleeding on that defensive end of the floor. Uh, but Stewart has another question about the offensive end of the floor. Mm-hmm. He wants to know, how can we involve Covington in the offense more? Could he and Derek just be more constantly cutting towards the rim? Are there any other ways to involve Rocco? I don't want Robert Covington and DJ Day to cut at will. Our scheme is based on spacing. So if you have off-ball movement cutting towards the rim a lot of the time, you have a really cramped paint and we don't, we can't afford to have a more than already cramped paint because Dame and CJ need room to operate. DJJ does a all right job of cutting. There's times where he stays in the paint too much. I think Robert Covington knows that this scheme counts on him being a spacer. And there are times where he gets a ball and makes a cut but I don't want him off ball cutting that much just because of spacing and how much we value spacing on this team. So to get Robert involved, I think that we have to empower him to shoot more and be more aggressive offensively. But I personally don't want any off ball movement cutting towards the rim for Rocco. Yeah, I would agree with, with Covington, that the aspect on on Rocco, um, I would like to see us try to find more creative ways to get in the ball rather than just telling him to chill on the perimeter Maybe that's some pick and pop action um, as a small ball five, or even as the four, which we utilize that Collins a lot. Um, just because he's gonna, he, we got him. To, he's a three and D. We need, we need, we need the three. We need to get him more attempts. Um, I would love to see us work. So if it's not a pick and roll, even if it is a pick and roll action, just DJJ. I, I kind of want him un, unleashed because he's th- that's his game. Yes, he can hit a spot up three, but he's a threat at the rim. Um, we, we've seen the lob, especially when Damon CJ get cooking. And so maybe that's where I would say they're not going to get involved right away. Is Portland is most lethal once the defense really keys in on Damon CJ. And by, by that, I mean, it, if Damon CJ are really rolling, that means even more attention is going to be brought upon them. And it's going to make those that, that the lanes are going to become wider. The passes are going to become easier to make and they're going to have more time to do what they want to do. So that, that's how I would get them going more is by letting Damon CJ get rolling, being aggressive, getting to the line. And then you start to let your other, other, um, you know, role players take, take, take flight. I um, think we, that also, I, I would, I'm just looked at Robert Covington's uh, usage yeah, I could, I could see him – I would give him – he's at 10%. I think 
I would feel great about him, him having a usage rate of 15 or 17. So yeah, involve him in the, in the offense more, but I think there's a limit and I think he knows that there's a limit to it because he knows his game. He's, he's, he's been in the league for seven years. He knows what he's good at and what he's not. So yeah, I would like to involve him in the offense, but he's not a major factor. And I think DJJ has done a really good job of, of, of cutting and Terry's empowered him to, I think there's yeah, times I mean, where he should move out of the paint, but he's done a good job. Aside from his rookie year in Houston, where he really only played spot minutes in seven games, uh, his his three point attempts at four 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 point two right now are the lowest of his career. Um, he he just needs to get more opportunities. And you're mm-hmm. looking he played with he played with James Harden for a year um, and Russell Westbrook. Those are two of the most high usage, high volume scores we we have in the league. They still found a way to get him seven and a half attempts from three per game. Portland, they have to. You don't give up two first-round picks and your only tradable contract for a player that you're just going to say, no, you just play one side of the ball. You win with two-way players. Again, this is on Terry Stotts to get, uh, but to get these guys. But I also think that Robert Covington passes up a lot of easy shots. So I, 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 think it's known, I, ha- I, I honestly haven't noticed that. So I will, Watch Robert Covington will, yeah. in off the perimeter. I think that he gives up, that he takes bad shots more than he should. And then passes up good shots more than they should. I think there's a nice balance of what he can do, and he just has to find it within 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 himself offensively. Question from Jeff Grant on Twitter: Defense and more defense. I've never been so excited preseason for a big improvement in Rip City defense. Made some really good acquisitions in Covington Jones, and GT is a good on-ball defender. The return of Hood, who also plays good D. And whammo crappy defense to start the season. So not a question there, but just more of an overall sentiments. I, I agree as well. Uh, even though it's six games, I would have liked to have seen more improvement. Um, seems like Portland's falling into the same bad habits. They're bringing the big out there. They're leaving him on an island, allowing them to get exposed, whether it's Nurkic or Cantor. I mean, NBA guards, too fucking quick, too fucking crafty. Um, they're they're going to burn you. So you need to keep your pig away from the perimeter unless you got Bam out of bio up there. <laughs> or um, uh Anyeka Kanwu. So I, I I don't know what what the Blazers are going to do. Um I think the talent is there. Again, I think it comes from in-game adjustments. If if you're going to just allow teams to walk into their offense and not make them uncomfortable and not show them any different looks throughout an entire game. It's going to be we're going to have the same conversation every week, Sage. Mm-hmm. And I I don't want to have that. Um, we're three and three. That, that's not bad, but just a lot of things that could really be be ironed out. And, and I think Blazer fans would be more accepting of of negative defensive statistics had we seen maybe more new attempts at trying to stop the the opposition. Um, are you going to go small and play Robert at the five and stretches? Are you going to give Harry some run? Are you going to you know go? unleash Gary Trent a little bit more. Are you going to double and trap, you know, Terry in that post-game press conference in the second Warriors game, you know, talked about like Wiggins and Oubre, you know, making a shot after they did gave Steph one look, you know, Terry, he's just so cautious that if he tries something different once and he gets burnt, he's like, never again, Mm -hmm. he's just going to go back to the the same old, same old when that gets continuously torched. So I think this this needs to be a growth year for Terry Stotts. I don't mean to pile on him. I think he's a fine coach. 
Um, he's probably, you know, top 10, 15 in the NBA. But to win, you have to either have a generational talent or you have to have a, an elite staff. And those staffs are known for making adjustments and finding things in the opposition to exploit. We don't want to be the ones that are getting exploited. Oh, man, you're going down a very... As, as someone who's been a Blazer fan and a guy that's played DFS for 2014, you have to attack weaknesses that present themselves. And Terry Stotts has done a really bad job of attacking the other team's weaknesses. And it seems like the opposing team has no problem in attacking our shitty uh, uh, defense in terms of dribble penetration and scoring. Like, we we can go against the worst team at defending the paint and Nurkic gets frozen out of the offense pretty quick if he, if it doesn't work once so that i mean that that's kind of a stot special it's play da- play dame big minutes in competitive games and not attack mismatches defensively so that's kind of a thing and if he can grow out of that that'd be a huge step forward for him in his coaching uh career last question from tv pup 22 just wants to know what's up with mellow and Cantor. why would that be the answer to go against steph curry when he is having a career night um we've kind of touched on this sage um i think we've we've completely covered the ns subject he was outperforming yusuf nurkic i think mellow's the question Mello's the question. I, I don't. I, I think that Mello is going to be the toughest thing for Terry to do, and Terry may feel like his hands are tied with Carmelo. We've seen the good in Mello when he's hitting those corner threes, catch and shoot, passing Tim Duncan on the all-time list. Congrats to Mello for moving up to 14th all-time. Do you have his scoring? Do you have the Warriors stats? What do you mean? Game specific? two. Do you have uh, the box score? Yeah. How many points did Melo score? In 27 minutes, he took eight shots, seven of them from three, connecting on two, got to the line four times, made all four, ten points. That That's the part that confuses me. He wasn't hot. If he was hot, I, I you can convince me that his, his making three, taking and attempting and making threes is worth the sieve defensively. But since he wasn't hot in any stretch of the word, I would have switched it. So that's the part that confuses me. And this doesn't. Nurk played really bad that game. Again, I think this is this is the deal we made, essentially, like bringing Carmelo back. I was happy about it. A lot of people were happy about it. We're probably going to have to live with this in terms of Mel- Melo's going to get his minutes regardless. Yep. Um, they've talked about protecting the legacy. And there are nights when it looks fantastic. You're getting a player who can put up 20 on a minimum contract, um, like we saw in that first game uh, against the Warriors. Yep. And then you're going to get nights where he maybe, you know, you're never going to get putt plus defense, but if he's not hot on offense, it's just it, double negative. Yep. It's double negative. And now you feel like maybe you're forced to, to play him. So I think for the good of the team, and I don't, I do not envy Terry Stotts one iota. Um, I know I've talked about the the onuses on him to make the adjustments and the seat might be getting a tiny bit warm. I, I don't envy him. He's got a difficult job. He gets hounded by reporters after every game, after everything he does do, after everything he doesn't do. You can say it comes with the territory, but 
it, it's got to wear you down. The, the mellow situation is going to be the most difficult one for him to handle because he may feel forced that he has to, to play him. And, and Nurkic is going to be that way as well. We, we know Nurk is a little bit like Kevin Duckworth in the sense that mentally he can kind of swing uh, in, in high variances. Like when he's really rolling, it's great, but there's things that you can do to Yusuf Nurkic that can really rattle him and take him out of his game. And if he's not playing well, I mean, yeah, he's your third best player, but can he handle a benching? Should he be benched for the, the good of the team? Should Melo not play as many minutes for the good of the team? There are so many questions that are going to have to be answered over the course of the 72 game season that I, I don't know the answer to. I don't, I don't frankly know if I want to know the answer to it. Um, but those are the things that are going to have to be figured out. If if we look back at the season, Sage, and Portland's a one and done in the postseason, we probably have a pretty good idea why that was. Mm, if they make a Western Conference Finals or a Finals push, we know that everybody bought in. There were some highs and some lows, but Dame and CJ were able to, to keep, carry this team. They really gelled. All of the parts that were acquired started to mesh, and everyone played their role. Um it's it's going to be difficult, but the protecting the legacy really doesn't give me a lot of hope that we're going to see many changes if Melo's having um, a cool night. And a question I have is: Do you think management, Neil or uh, or uh, the ownership, says that he has to give Melo X number of minutes a game? I don't know if it's a specific like minutes restriction, but in the opposite yeah. way, I don't know if it's a, a specific number, but I would say there was probably a lot more conversations than maybe were led to believe took place. You know, one for, for Mello to even say, I'm going to come off the bench mm. but two, okay. If I'm coming off the bench, I better be like, no, and he's, he's the sixth man. He, he plays six man minutes. He's the first off the bench. Um, and he's been closing out some games. So I definitely think a lot of conversations have taken place. My question is if it starts to go south or we're not getting the production that we need, or there are other players that could be giving us what we need, who who's going to have that conversation? How is it going to be received? I think it all starts from the top, bro. I think that there is like there is a bigger effort in getting mellow more minutes than let's say uh Gary Trent or Rodney Hood or any any real player. I'm wondering if there's gonna be restrictions to Mello's playing time in terms of like he's not gonna play back to backs, stuff like that. I if it goes bad, I think that that's the first thing that happens. It, it'll be detailed as we want to preserve Mello so he's gonna not play seconds of back to backs, stuff like that, if it actually gets bad. Yeah, and for the most part, Mellows has been a great addition to the team. It's just he and Ennis do not bring out the best in one another, and it's unfortunate. Yeah, they show each other's deficiencies pretty well, yeah, though. Both both are, are really great at what they do, but you, you have to – basketball's a team game. You know, you got to surround everybody with players that, that fit. Um, but I think, you know, we, we've touched on quite a bit – uh, before we get to the, the preview of the next uh, week's slate of games, I do want to do another uh, local artist shout out. Um, this one is uh, he's been a guest on the show 
uh, multiple times. Uh, Evan McCarthy, you can find him. Um, Evan MPDX, Sage will put the link to his shop in uh, the show description. He's had a really just sick run of blazer prints lately with, with Mellow, with, with Dame, CJ, or not CJ, G Trent, B Roy, Sheed. I think he might have an Uncle, Uncle Cliffy one. Uh, I've been hounding him about that. So I'm really excited to see that, how that comes out. Um, but check him out. Evan's a great dude, does a lot of great work. Um, super excited to see that. He's, you know, a fan of the show. We've had him on quite a while. I always like just, you know, pr- promoting others, others that do great work. You know, he's helped us out. We've helped him out. So check it out. Sage will put it in the description. And Sage, let's take a look at these next three games because my friend, they're pretty winnable. Mm-hmm. So we have Chicago, the fifth, Tuesday, 730. You got Minnesota on Thursday and at Sacramento on Saturday. Uh, predictions wise, I'm at one and five. You're at three and three. That's basically because you, you predicted the correct Warriors win versus me. We both got the Clippers game wrong. So um, it is what it is. But let's talk plenty of time to catch up and yeah in this covid season there's going to be some wild shit that happens so <laughs> the knicks flew here, out the bucks bro yeah you know here we are uh we, let's let's talk about the chicago bulls who i believe are going to be shorthanded due to covid19 thomas sadaransky uh, tested positive and they are doing contract tracing that could keep uh, a few others Lowry. out as well yeah, yeah this is a team that got absolutely embarrassed their, their first two performances at home Again, we talked about that that close loss to the Golden State Warriors, but now that they're heading on the road, um, a very, very young team. They start rookie Patrick Williams at the three. They've got a lot of former lottery talent, but again, they are going full-on youth movement, not expected to be a playoff, even play-in contender in the East. Sage, tell me why the Blazers should handle business against the Chicago team. So, I mean... Without Lowry marketing, they run a lineup of Kobe White, Zach Levine, Pat Will, Otto Porter, who they said they were going to take it easy on this year, but put, gets put in the power forward spot and is playing like 35 minutes a game. And then Wendell Carter. This, this team has a really good person that I think can really be an irritant to our major deficiency defensively. And that's Zach Levine, who can just get to the paint whenever the hell he wants. And if we just encourage him to shoot that, I think that's the way that it can get very ugly for us. Um, I, I would definitely put DJJ on, on Zach and trying to dissuade him from getting into the paint as much as possible. I mean, Dame on Pat will does not scare me. CJ on auto Porter doesn't scare me, but them on Zach with his ability to get into the paint and he may not make the right decision, but when we're giving up so many points in the paint, the decision is really easy. You just go up. So I I think that's how we could potentially lose. How we win is we take care of business defending Zach Levine, make sure Kobe white doesn't get hot and play good defense. I, I mean, Otto Porter and Pat will at this stages in their careers don't really scare me. So it's really about those guards that are really good at getting into the paint and scoring. So we talked about uh, Sadoransky 
um, looking at basketball reference, uh, Markkanen, Chandler Hutchinson, oh, and yeah. uh, Ryan Archie Diacono also likely out um, with no timetable for their return due to the the self uh, safety and health uh, protocols. You know, I think this is a game where I want to see a locked in Yusuf Nurkic. Yes, uh, yeah, I, we need a, a we need a double double from him if he's going up against Wendell Carter. This is a matchup that he absolutely needs to to dominate. Um, it's a game that I also want to, I think that the key for me is getting out to a fast start. This is almost like we're playing a poor man's Houston rocket team when they were without a, quite a few of their players due to the, 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 uh, the, the safety and health protocols, you know, Zach Levine is, you know, very light, light James Harden, but he still has the ability to go off for 40 points on, on a given night. We were down 16, 17 points to that Houston rocket team. It took a really strong third quarter comeback We've always said that the first game back from uh, an extended road trip is is, is very difficult. It's it's hard to, to recharge, to refocus. You're you're back in your comfort of your own bed. You have a weaker opponent. There's a huge tendency to let down. I want to see how this team comes out. We need to have a nice lead after the end of the first quarter. My X factor is going to be Anis Cantor. Um, I, I think this I think this is a great game where he's not going to get exposed by by Chicago guards. Uh, I don't expect him to play a ton when, when Zach Levine is in there, but I think you can realistically let him play when, when a guy like Kobe White's in there. Um, he again should be able to feast on Wendell Carter, Otto Porter, Patrick Williams. Like this is a game where the Blazers need to dominate the paint. The, if they fall in love with the three and they have a quiet night, it, it could be a long night in Portland. Um, we played them last year and I, I know it's last year and it's completely different. Hassan, it was in it was kind of a similar state where I think we played them the Friday after Thanksgiving. So it was another let a type of a letdown. Hassan had 10 blocks that game and it was it was close down the stretch. This is a team that, that we should handle, and you want to feel good after a win. So uh, my prediction is the Blazers win, but I, I need to see them dominate the paint, get out to a foul start, and, and I think we're gonna see another big performance from from Ennis Cantor. What would you say, my friend? And this could be a devastating matchup for Daniel Gafford and and uh, T- uh, Thaddeus Young and and uh, Wendell. So I think the bigs uh, could and should have a really big night. Um, I think Zach Levine is going to have his moments, but we do have two star guards right now. And uh, I-, I think the Blazers do win against the Bulls. It's also the first game of a four-game Western Conference road trip for Chicago. So Portland needs to, I think, send them a, a nice warm welcome uh, to the Rose City. Let them know it's going to be a, a long trip for for the Baby Bulls. And up next, Portland has the Minnesota Timberwolves. Again, another game I want to see a dominant performance out of Yusuf Nurkic. Carl Anthony Towns is, is out. Um, they are, also will not have Josh Akogi. And uh, Jalen Noel is um, day-to-day. So another team that is shorthanded, even at full strength stage, this is a team we, we should handle, but Not where should Paul be on high alert at? Nurkic and uh, Ennis need to realize Nas Reed is a very young, very foul, monstery type of big that will go after any and everything. Um, who they have to look out for, I think, is Malik Beasley, D'Lo in these situations is the engine of their offense without cat on the floor. 
D'Lo has shit. He's disappointed me in DFS, but he he does have he has the skills to put up a lot of points in bunches. We're dealing with a lot of guards that have the ability to put points in bunches. They have Malik Beasley as uh, D'Lo. Uh, Anthony Edwards is has skills. So I, I think it's on our bigs to put the pressure on the Timberwolves and put the pressure on Nas Reed. I know he wants to foul. I know he wants block. So our bigs need to be patient and get work done. This is a game where Minnesota could come in riding a five-game losing streak. They've lost four. They have to play in Denver tomorrow. They could be on a five-game losing streak. You don't want to give them any sort of hope that they can win. I mean, this is a young team that's probably looking for an early exit, a reason not to show up. But we, as we've seen, you know, time and time again in the NBA, if you give teams confidence early, they're going to be like, oh, okay, we can win this game. Yeah, let, let's lock in. And you're, you're playing with nothing to lose. You're playing with house money. The other favorite team is, starts to tighten up. So a lot of the similar things I talked about with, with – the Bulls, Chicago, yeah. exactly, really it's resonates. The same, it's and, and, the same warnings, like and trickles over. So um, again, I, I want to see us dominate in the paint. That that's going to be my my X factor. I don't want to see us fall in love with a three unless they're completely wide open and come off a of ball movement. This should be a game where Damon CJ just get to the rim at will. If not, they could pass it out for for shooters. My X factor is going to be Derek Jones Jr. I would love to see him pick up D'Lo 94 feet and just hound him. D'Lo is the one player that can carry them to a victory. Take him out, get him frustrated, let him just defend him the way that he did LeBron and just focus all of his efforts there. This is also another game where I want to see the assists go up. Both Chicago and Minnesota, we should be able to have a patient enough offense to make a couple of passes. They'll stop defending us after the first or second rotation. We need to, you know, get 25 plus assists in both of these games. But I, I do have the Blazers winning. Uh, what about you, Sage? Which out of these two games is the bigger blowout potential for the Blazers to just kick ass? I think it's Minnesota. Yeah, I, I would really like for one of these two games, maybe both, to be blowouts where we just are chilling and CJ Ellerby is getting run in in Harry the last Giles, 10 minutes. Baby. Yeah, I mean, like, I just would love to see us blow out some teams because I feel like we try and put our bench in and then they just give up a lead and we have to put those starters. And I would love for it to just be such an ass whooping that we just keep Dame on the bench for the fourth quarter. Um, I I think the Blazers win uh, against the Timberwolves and uh, hopefully it's not even close. It's just a route from beginning to end. And lastly, uh, for the for the games of the week, uh, the Trailblazers go. Uh, they make the sh- the short trek south to the Bay Area once again. This time facing the, the Sacramento Kings. Um, I believe they are three and four after uh, losing to the Golden State Warriors tonight. And after this this road game, they have a, a stretch at home of, of eight straight. That includes two against the Portland Trailblazers. Um, but we do catch them on the second half the second night of a back-to-back. They play Toronto on Friday, and then they play us on Saturday. Um, This is a team that has beaten Denver twice. They split uh, with Phoenix. They've been very competitive against the Houston Rockets. And it's a team that, you know, we handled one time in the preseason and then didn't really play uh, the second time. But we've all – the Blazers, since their – just their origin – 
have always struggled in Sacramento. The early '90s Blazers could never seemed like they could never consistently beat the Kings at the old Arco Arena, and that that's kind of carried on over the course of of history. I don't know what it is, but um, this is not as easy of a game as maybe it would look like on paper. Sage, I know the Kings are having their own. Uh, dad beef where Marvin Bagley Jr.'s dad's on Twitter saying, you know, trade me and De'Aaron, De'Aaron Fox's father says, okay, I can trade him. Like, get him out of here. Uh, you know, we don't, we don't need Marvin Bagley. So they have got some internal issues already. I mean, Buddy um, Heald probably doesn't want to be on the team too. Hassan Whiteside, I feel bad for the guy. He's reposting triple double stats with blocks on his IG stories, like multiple times a day. And he's not playing at all. Um, I mean, Bagley today had nine rebounds, two field goal attempts, uh, free th- a made free throw, and three turnovers. He got all the potential in the world to dominate the Warriors and their sucky defense and didn't do it. I Bagley, I think it's going to be the, one of those where we just make fun of Kings fans. Like, you missed out on Luca or Trey Young for Marvin Bagley type of, type of uh, picks. Um, I think De'Aaron Fox is really fast and could potentially make uh have a good game against us because of how bad we are defensively in the paint. I think that Buddy Heald also has the potential to uh, you know do his Mitch Richmond thing. Harrison Barnes and Bagley and Rashawn Holmes don't scare me at all. It's really about those two guards and how well we defend them. And uh, Tyrese Halliburton's been out so. It's really those two, and if we can control and defend those two, I feel pretty good about our chances of victory. And in fact, I think that we go three and zero this week. So, what scares me about Sacramento is even if you look at the preseason, they didn't shoot the ball particularly well from three, but they got a, an incredible amount of attempts that they put up forty nine and a half per attempts yeah. per game in the two preseason contests against Portland. They're clearly hunting them in one game. All it takes is one player to get hot and kind of throws everything out of whack. I really want to see the Blazers defend the perimeter. I know the paint has been where they have been getting beat so far this season, but I think against a team like the Kings, they are going to live and die by that three point shot. Um, I think it's going to come down to three point defense and second chance points uh, Portland in losses kind of looks like they, they, they just get dominated on the glass. And I think the way for Portland to generate their offense is to get one stop and then go. Um, you don't want to have to, you know, waste and expend multiple, you know, energy, just trying to get, get stops on, on offensive rebounds that you're mm-hmm. allowing. So I want to see us win the battle of the boards. And this is a game where they are going to give you open threes. We have to hit them. I mean, that's just the bottom line. I think my X factor for this one, Carmelo Anthony, he played fantastic. That first preseason game, there's not a defender that can check him. He can either catch and shoot, or we can just, I'm fine. ISOing him in this scenario where he's going up against a smaller defender and, and going to work. So I think, especially when you're on the road, you need those, those, the, the bench performances really uplift the road team. You, you, you know what you're going to get most likely from it, from a Dame or a CJ, but what sparked us to beating the Lakers? It was Gary Trent's mm-hmm. 28 points. You know, can we get a night like that from, from Carmelo Anthony? So that's, that's what I'm projecting. Um, this, this game's going to be hard. Um, I'll go optimistic and say we win and go three and zero, but 
there's just something in, in that water that, that terrifies me. I, I think that uh, Ennis is going to be the surprise good player of the day. They play Hassan or they play Marvin Bagley or whoever it may be in his time. I don't, I'm not, I'm not afraid of Hassan. Um, he, he would go and it, it's kind of Ennis's strength to guard the post on those cuts. So I, I don't feel that scared about it. I think Ennis or Nurk can have a long successful rotation against this team. I'm really hoping Nurk gets right against these three very winnable teams with very suspect defensive uh, strategies and schemes. So uh, this is, this is a big Nurk week for me and I definitely want to see the pick and roll success rate go up quite a bit. Yeah. I mean, we talked about 10 of the next 12 at home. The two road games are the Sacramento Kings. Those are probably the toughest games we have. You're probably not going to go 12 and 0, but you go nine and three, 10 and two, you really start to maybe separate yourself out in the Western conference because Sage, just judging by the results that I've seen so far, I don't think you're going to see a lot of separation one through eight. Mm-hmm. I don't think you're going to see a team in either conference run away from it. The teams that I think that are going to find themselves with home court advantage in the playoffs are the ones that beat the teams that they're supposed to and they handle business on their home court. Um, Just one, two out of three, every, every three games, one, two out of you'll, three. You'll take the road splits. Absolutely. Mm. You can't lose by 20 to Utah on opening night. I mean, you beat Houston. You almost didn't like that would have been disastrous. Protect home court. And and get a split on the road, and you're gonna we're gonna feel really good looking uh, looking ahead into February as, as we really start to see this season unfold. But I mean, there's this has been a quite quite a lengthy episode stage. We've had a lot to talk about. Um, this season is is heating up, and I'm excited to see how how it plays out. And that's that's all that I have. Do, uh, do you want to wrap this bad boy up? Yeah, man. Um, we are available on iTunes, Google Play. Stitcher, Himalaya Podcast, Dash Radio, Nothing But Net Radio, Tuesdays 2 to 3 uh, Pacific, 4 to 5 Eastern. And if you've listened this far, you're a real one. And leave a nice positive review, and it helps the algorithm share this with more people. So thank you so much, and uh, Happy New Year. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night. Everybody, let's go.